In case you missed it, let me summarize the gospel lesson. Blessed are you who are living in abject poverty, weeping uncontrollably, ravenously hungry, disposable, desperate, and completely unimportant. Woe to you who are rich, full, happy, and popular. Luke certainly doesn't pull any punches, and if you're hoping that I'm going to somehow reinterpret these verses to say, oh, Jesus really doesn't mean this. He was only speaking metaphorically about people being hungry for righteousness or poor in spirit. I'm afraid you're going to be disappointed. Or if perhaps you're looking for me to say, oh, don't worry, you are actually very, full in the all very fully in the blessed category, not the woe category, then you might want to think about leaving now. Because this gospel, without a doubt, falls into the category of the familiar phrase, the gospel is meant to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And this morning, we all sit to that comfortable side. Unlike the somewhat similar Sermon on the Mount, which appears in the Gospel of Matthew, this passage from Luke is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Excuse me, Sermon on the Plain. Excuse me, I want to get that right. That description on the plain immediately tells us that there's something significantly different about the Jesus that Luke portrays. There's the fact that he comes down from the mountain where he's been praying with his chosen disciples and stands among the people on a level place, eye to eye with them, one of them, part of the crowd, is very significant. The word level in Old Testament is used by prophets such as Jeremiah, Daniel, and Joel to refer to places of death, disgrace, suffering, misery, and mourning. It is into that type of place Jesus walks and puts himself on the same playing field as the crowds gathered around him. And note what he does just as he's beginning to speak. He heals all of them. All of them. He levels the playing field. And then he looks into the crowd and he pronounces four blessings and four woes. Now, Jesus isn't saying that suffering and poverty and grieving is God's will for the world. The fact that he heals all who have come to hear him shows that the exact opposite is true. Nor is Jesus being prescriptive here. He's not saying God's going to bless you because you're poor or that God's going to bless you because you're suffering. Likewise, he is not saying God is going to condemn you if you make too much money or God will condemn you if you laugh and enjoy life. Now, Jesus is just simply stating the obvious or perhaps the not too obvious. You who are poor and hungry and destitute, you are blessed. Not in the way the world sees blessing and success, but because God sees you. And in those words of Sam Cooke, a change is going to come. Jesus looks out under the crowd of desperate people in front of him and says to them, this is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not where people are hungry while others have more than they could possibly ever want to eat. Where there are people who are weeping incessantly 
while others have nothing to do but laugh. While there are people who struggle to have simply a handful of coins, while others have riches upon riches, and those riches often made on the backs of those very ones who are struggling. Jesus continues, you rich, full, happy, popular people, you've already had your turn, and now it's someone else's. The kingdom of God is when it is brought into fullness, isn't going to look like this. If you're not sharing what you have, seeking to help and heal the suffering you see in the world, if you're not inviting others to a seat at your overflowing table, if you're not sitting with people during their time of weeping, then simply put, you are not part of the kingdom of God. His theologian and priest Barbara Brown Taylor has commented, the Beatitudes do not tell us what to do. They tell us who we are, and more importantly, who Jesus is, end quote. And although we, in our modern translation, hear the word blessing and think it means something wonderful, something that has been given to us because something we've done, the actual meaning of blessedness is actually quite different. Here's the thing. Blessedness is, is not something done to us. It's a state of being. It's a radical trust in and dependence upon God over and above dependence on the human means of achievement and of security. Humans have often long associated prosperity and success as being God's blessing. It's no different today. Surrounded by outside measures of blessedness, could be social status, physical attractiveness, military power, newest technologies, economic achievement, you name it. It is tempting to see any or all of these as the ultimate source of security, happiness, or meaning, or as evidence of living in a way that God should be pleased. But Jesus being Jesus says, oh, not so fast. Anyone who's placing their trust in any of those things over and above trust in God is not blessed because they are not in a right relationship with God. When someone blesses us, they're not magically heaping wishes of material or physical goods upon our heads, but rather they're wishing us into a right relationship with God, one in which we can surrender ourselves to God's ways instead of clinging desperately to the world's ways of measuring success. And it's only when we're radically aware of our need for God that we can begin to allow God to bless us. Not because God wants us to suffer, far from it. Jesus' ministry is all about healing, abundance, liberation, and joy. But the thing is that love, healing, abundance, liberation, and joy are for all people, no exceptions. And that's the news that Jesus shares in today's gospel. Those who've been trampled upon by the ways of the world are going to be blessed beyond measure in this new kingdom because they have everything to look forward to that the world has previously denied them. God is present with those who have nothing to depend on except for God. Now, sadly, we're not quite there yet. 
We haven't realized the ways to make sure that everyone has enough, that our laughter doesn't come at the expense of the weeping of others, that the plenty of some means others have nothing. As our presiding bishop, right reverend, very reverend, excuse me, uh, most reverend, uh, Michael Curry has said, this is an ever-evolving path. So we need to keep hearing Jesus' words and not try to wiggle our way out of the woe column into the blessed column because it simply makes us feel better. So, as we're getting near Lent now, and maybe perhaps a good meditation for us all to consider, would be try on these blessings and woes instead. You're blessed when you've lost it all because then God's kingdom is there for the finding. You're blessed when you're ravenously hungry because then you're ready for the messianic meal. But it's trouble ahead if you think you have it made because what you have is all you're ever going to get. And it's trouble ahead when you're satisfied with yourself because yourself will not satisfy you for long. They make you think, don't they? Yeah. Keep those, internalize them, think about them as we go through Lent, the ways of our attitudes, the way in which we are called to be. It's not only a good exercise, it's good for your soul. In the name of the one who loves us and has given us life. Amen.